welcome back to the SLP Corner Podcast. I am going to apologize right now because this podcast is late. I am uploading it quite late and it's definitely not posting on a Monday, but still didn't miss the week. And you know what? It happens this week. Um, honestly, June and July so far have been pretty busy for me work-wise and I just feel like it's been really hard to stick to that week-to-week podcast, but here it is. I asked you guys if you had any questions. I was going to do a solo episode, and I got a bunch of questions, and one question that I wanted to kind of talk through the day, which I've been asked before by like new grads who DM me, and they'll say like, oh my gosh, I was so unprepared for this initial assessment, or I have no idea what to do for this initial assessment with this child who has autism. I don't know what to do. And so basically today, it's just going to be tips and tricks for prepping an initial assessment for a child with autism under the age of six. I could do another one for sure over the age of six, but I need to separate it because it's just going to be too broad. So let's do under the age of six for this one. I'm going to walk you through how I set up the room, what materials I I get, what materials I have prepared, what I'm looking for, and then my next steps. So basically, to prep for an initial assessment, I typically call parents ahead of time. I find out their main concerns. I find out some of the child's interests. This is usually a 10-minute phone call max, and I don't charge for this phone call. It's usually like literally 10 minutes long, and I just want to know that that um, little bit of information, and then our clinic has an, an intake form that's relatively detailed asking about the child's history and their speech and language history and if they've had any illnesses and all those questions so we don't need to waste any time in the assessment in person going over that the parents fill that entire form out before and then I usually spend um, about five minutes before the assessment not like obviously immediately before but before I meet the child I review the intake form so now before I've even met the child I have the intake form information so I highly recommend that the clinic you're at or wherever you're at develop an intake form saves a lot of time. So I have the intake form. I have the child's interest, whether it's like Play-Doh or cars. I have some things like that because I want to have motivating activities for the child. And then I have the parent's main concerns, which it can be as broad as their language or it can be specific as a certain sound or maybe they, they can't maintain topic. It can So it just really varies. It kind of depends. So then once the child enters the room, typically what I do and what I've been taught to do is I have the child do their own thing in the room for the first probably 10 minutes. So during this time, I have the child warm up to the room. It's very low pressure. I don't interact with the child. I just say hi to them. I kind of check out how they greet me. I say, come on, we're going to go play. They come into my therapy room and I have maybe like three different toys out. I want to see what they're going to be interested in. And they usually go play with a toy. Sometimes they're a little bit shy. Sometimes they want us all to play together. It kind of depends on the child again. And then I say to the child, okay, me and mom or me and mom or me and dad are going to talk and then we're going to come play with you after. And then I just do that because I never want, um, I don't want a lot of pressure on the child. I want them to warm up to the space in their own time. So I just give them that time at the beginning of the assessment to really warm up. Then I go with mom. And then now with the parent, usually mom, depending mom or dad, I um, we're going to have a chat. So basically I review what I saw in the intake form just very quickly, briefly, basically focusing on what are their main concerns right now. We go over um, chat like a checklist of milestones um, and we just really talk about it. I feel like you can get a lot of information with the parent in the room. And um, so an informal one that's like pretty informal, but it's it does the trick in an informal assessment would be a speech sisters checklist. I really like that checklist. I think it's just like to the point. It has a receptive section. It has an expressive section and it's for toddlers. Um, 
I think just for the age of four. And then um, if you're wanting something more standardized, you could use the Rosetti. Typically, I don't use um, the Rosetti unless I'm doing um, unless I'm partaking in an autism assessment where I'm writing this speech and language report because you need standardized assessments for that. But if it's for purposes of goal setting and treatment planning, I don't always use a standardized test because they're not always the most telling and it can be sometimes just not the best use of time. Um, then if you're like other standardized tests could be like the PLS or the self B2, things like that. But I typically don't use standardized tests. I've been asked before, like, I thought you had to use standardized tests. You don't have to use standardized tests. If you're writing a report or if you're, um, in, if you're partaking in an autism assessment, I highly recommend you, I think like you, you definitely need to use standardized assessments, but Sometimes standardized assessments can be really helpful, and sometimes I think they're just kind of a waste of time. So yeah, you can do whatever you want and what you think is best going to serve the child. So typically for goal setting and treatment planning, I don't always think a standardized test is necessary, especially when the child might not even be in the norming sample. So it's not really relevant to compare them to other children at that point. Anyways, so... Then some things I might do are um, like maybe some theory of mind tasks, kind of see where their perspective taking is at. So you can do little little fun tasks like get a cereal box that's empty and you can tell them like, oh, this is my cereal box. What do you think's in it? And they're going to be like, oh, I think cereal's in it. You open the box, you show them actually it's markers. And then we are all familiar with this. Then you can say, okay, my, my friend, it's like the puppet, my friend's coming in. What do you think he's going to think? And then, you know, if they have really those really strong theory of mind skills, they might be like, oh, I think like he's going to, think that um, it's cereal because that's what the box says versus, oh, I think he's going to think it's markers. You know what I mean? So just do, you know, simple tasks like that. It can tell you a lot about where they're at in that uh, regard. And then one thing that is another go-to of mine for children under, technically it's under the age of four, but um, is the early start Denver Denver model checklist. I think this is so key because the difference it, when you're assessing a child with autism versus a child who just has a language delay is that with children with autism, you're really looking at more areas of development. So we're not just looking at expressive and receptive language, but we're looking at that social communication piece. We're looking at their place Skills. We really want to take a big look into that area and we can't forget about it. So I like that the Early Start Denver model breaks these skill areas apart and it's very clear going through the checklist where there are areas of need and where they're really moving along quite well. So I really, really like the Early Start Denver model checklist. I did the intro course in that and I highly recommend. I think it's an absolutely great program for children. Some more things that I have at the ready, um, depending on the child's age, is a first words sheet. So what is a word? What is a first word? I think it's important to tell parents what it is exactly. Otherwise, we might not be on the same page for like counting number of words and things like that. So Speech Sisters and the um, Speech Corner has a great one. And then I really like Laura Mize's pre-verbal skills. So the 11 pre-verbal skills we need in order to be able to, you know, ver basically have our verbal skills present and then imitation skills. So oftentimes they want parents to be on the same page with like before they're going to be imitating words, there's a lot of other things they're going to be need to be they're going to need to be imitating. It's just all really important to consider. But then overall like 
what I'm looking for is how is the child playing with me? What is their level of social play? I think it's important for us to be really familiar on the difference between object play and social play. So what are the milestones of social play that we're wanting to see in them? What are the stages of object play? So object play and social play. I have two blog posts on this on my blog. I'll link it below. I think they're good things to review. Social play, we're thinking more like, you know, parallel play. And then we go, we're working towards that cooperative play that's more complex but then with object play we're thinking more about like functional conventional play and then we're wanting to move towards that symbolic play so just really taking a, a deep dive into their play skills as Anna DSLP mentioned when she came on my podcast play skills go hand in hand with language development and I always explain this to parents because they're both symbolic in nature so typically the complexity of a child's play is going to be around the same level of the complexity of their language so working on play helps language and working on language helps play they really go hand in hand and children learn through play that's where they're most motivated that is their real life I just had a parent the other day ask me um she asked uh she asked me well shouldn't we be working more on like conversation but her child's quite little and we had to have a chat that this is like their version of conversation, you know, like playing is their version of conversation. These little guys, they're not having like sit down intense conversations. And when I explained it and talked it through with her, she was like, oh yeah, like she had an aha moment. She's like, oh yeah, like that makes so much sense. And it's like, we don't think of it like that, but it's important to think about it like that. Kids, like this is their real life. This is where they're learning. So it's really important to be playing with them and that they have strong play skills. That's how they're going to be conversing with peers. That's how they're going to be socializing. That's how they're going to be building friendships. So it's important to have strong play skills. That goes hand in hand with social communication skills. So I always like to look at that. I also like to look at flexibility generally. Are they flexible with routines and transitions? I like to trial things. Do timers work? What type of visual schedule works? What type of visuals work? Does the first then work? Can they handle a longer visual schedule? What kind of timer works well for them to understand when the transition is coming? How long, how many warnings do they need before a transition? I like to just trial all of that. And then um, I honestly think one of the most important things is just really talking it through with the parents at the end, like saying, okay, this is what I saw. These are the areas I'm thinking. These are some goals I'm thinking. And right away, I want to have some goals in my mind to tell them so they know that like, I'm seeing what they're seeing and maybe I'm seeing different things and to talk it through with them. And then typically I'll ask like, what is your main concern? What's something that really matters to you? And if it's response to name, then that's going to be a goal on our list for sure. If it's greetings, we're going to make that a goal. I want to prioritize what they're wanting because they're the ones who are with their child all the time and we hear it all the time, but really like it is important to prioritize what a parent wants to work on. If I had a child, I would 100% want to be working on what I want to work on for my child at the end of the day, that's what's most important. Afterwards, and I let parents know this, like as a private practice SLP, I let them know, okay, I'll be writing up a treatment plan. Typically it's a 15 minute charge. My treatment plan is um, usually it's anywhere between four to nine goals. Obviously I hope not to have nine goals all the time. It's a lot of goals, but sometimes I end up having that because I don't know, it's something I'm working on not having that many goals, but anyways. And then I just tell them it'll be about 15 minute charge. I just write all the goals in smart format. I write the treatment block length. And then I write like the level prompting, whatever, in a smart goal format. And then every three months I update it and I charge 30 minutes, 15 minutes for updating their treatment plan, 15 minutes for writing up a progress note. That's pretty brief. Just how often I'm seeing the skills, where I'm seeing them, what the plan is moving forward, things like that. I really like the system and it's a system I, I saw one of my coworkers using and I just really liked it. I think it's a great way to keep on top of everything and it avoids writing these like long, intense assessment reports or these long, intense reports that I 
just don't think are always necessary. And I always charge my time as a private practice SLP because we should not be working for free. And parents are almost always okay with this because they completely understand that, you know, you have to charge for the work you do. And then last thing I'm going to say is I've had a few new grads reach out to me and just say like, oh my God, I had initial assessment. I don't know what happened. It went so poorly. I am like so lost. I can't believe it. I'm so stressed. I have to write up a treatment plan or goal list. And I, I don't even know what to work on because I feel like I couldn't even get the child's attention or the child was so uninterested in anything I had to say. And I always say like, that is a lot of information just right there. If the child, you couldn't even get his attention or you couldn't get her attention, that's very telling. And you could already have a few goals just with that information. Like you're probably going to work, need to work on a lot of pre-verbal skills, even if maybe, maybe they're like attention and maybe flexibility, maybe turn taking, you know what I mean? Like you, you also need to see, like, it's not always about what you see, but it's about what you don't see. So if you don't see a lot of things that you would have expected from a child that age, then those should be goals on your list. And like definitely utilize what's the, what the parents have said too. If parents have brought up certain specific concerns like turn-taking or maybe voice volume, things like that, then work on that by all means. Like, But I wouldn't worry too much about thinking you didn't have enough information from assessment because you were in that room for that child 45 minutes to an hour. You definitely have more information than you realize. Like a lot of the time, certain behaviors arising can actually give us a lot of information. So I would just really think about imitation skills, pre-verbal skills, play skills. What's their joint attention like? What's their social referencing like? Really think those things through. And then like the Rosetti has such a great parent questionnaire part. So if the child's if really hard to do certain activities with the child, totally lean on that parent report. Like parents know their child really well. Another tip is have videos, ask them at, like I all the time will be like, Oh, can you send some videos? I want to see more of the child at home. And it's really helpful. And then you can watch a bunch of videos from the, of the child at home and they can email them to you over Google drive or whatever. And you can watch them. That's super helpful. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's really important to see a child in another environment. So you should definitely consider doing that as well. And then, um, make sure you're prepared in that you have like multiple different types of toys. Like if you have all pretend play toys, you might overestimate, um, the child's level. And then maybe the child is definitely more playing with like cause and effect toys, like blowing bubbles or blowing balloons. So like, I always have both. I have some pretend play toys, like pretend food, but then I also have like I have bubbles or I have those balloons that you push up with the pump. I have some balls, puzzles, blocks, just like I always have a lot for an initial assessment because you just want to be prepared. We've all been there. We've all had an like an assessment gone wrong. I definitely have. I have one that really sticks out to me and um, it happens. It'll happen and it'll happen to me again. Like it just, it's just life. Like that's just the job we have. Um, but these are just some tips and tricks that I think are helpful so yeah, let me know if you have some more tips um, and I can share them with everyone so we can all just learn more from each other. And if you could please rate and review the podcast, I would really, really, really appreciate that. As always, I will see you guys next week. I'm aiming for Monday because I know that you were all very patient with me. Um, it was funny because when I was asking everyone, like, what are your questions for my thing? I had so many people ask, where's the podcast as your question? And I'm like, coming. Sorry. But anyways, okay. Everyone have a good weekend and I'll see you next week.